Hospitality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. Welcome to episode 37 of the Mike and Mo Show. I'm Mike Calandrillo. He as always is Maurice Moten. And there is a lot going on in the world of sports right now. Game three of the World Series is tomorrow night. The NBA season just tipped off. The NFL season is almost halfway complete as we speak. So we've got a lot to get to, but as always, let's welcome in my main man, Maurice Moan. Mo, what's on the docket for us today? Well, as you said, NBA tipped off, and I've actually been more excited about the start of the NBA season than I have in a long time. So we got a lot of NBA opening night storylines to go through, of course. A lot of things going on in NFL. As you said, we're at the midway point almost. Some teams are on a bye week. Some teams made some moves. Also, as you said, Game 3 of the World Series. There's something that ticks me off about Major League Baseball that I think Rob Manfred is going to have to change. And we may have some entertainment news to send you off with. Look out for that. But I'm going to get back to the cold opening. And I was watching the Lakers game very closely last night. And this comes as a surprise because... If you know me, you know I do not like the Lakers. And I think maybe I'm coming to the realization that I didn't like Kobe Bryant. I understand that Kobe Bryant is like, you know, basketball god and everything. And everyone worships at the altar of Kobe Bryant. I get it. He is a great talent. He's one of the 50 best, top 50, 25 best players of all time. Yes, he is. But I I just did not like Kobe Bryant. As, as a basketball player on the court because, of course, I'm a Knicks fan. But anyway, um, the Lakers were very interesting to watch yesterday. I watched the entire game against the Rockets. The Lakers pulled out a win. It was interesting, interesting to see Swaggy P in the starting lineup. But I'm going to get back to a quote real quick from D'Angelo Russell. And I quote again, Kobe Bryant deserved every bit of attention he got in his last year, but there's freedom in when Kobe is not around, basically. I'm paraphrasing that in, but basically he's saying... Kobe deserved everything he got in his uh, farewell tour, but the team feels a lot more loose. Everyone's having fun without Kobe being in the locker room, and I totally agree with him. And I said this last year. I said Kobe is stunting the growth of this young team. They have Julius Randle, Jordan Clarkson, D'Angelo Russell, Brandon Ingram. Those four guys, that's going to be the nucleus of your of your franchise going forward. Last year, they didn't have Ingram, but you still had those three young guys, and I feel like Byron Scott and Kobe Bryant held that team down. And I didn't ask this question yesterday on Twitter because I you know, felt like people would just go off on a Kobe rant. But I feel like if Kobe was on the court last night, the Lakers wouldn't have won that game because he would want to be the man again and take the last few shots. And the Lakers won based off of Jordan Clarkson's shooting, Swaggy P's defense, Julius Randle pounded it in the paint, giving him the double-double. Brendan Ingram was even playing the point guard position. I don't think any of that happens with Kobe Bryant on the court taking over. So... I'm not, I'm not spreading this anti-Kobe rant as I hate Kobe. Again, I respect Kobe and his game. But at the end of his career, he just did not want to step aside for the young crew to come up and do their thing. And that's what's happening now. And this is why the Lakers are exciting to watch. If you listen to the crowd, they were into this game, totally into this game. Not just because they won, but even winding down the final minutes, you saw how enthusiastic the crowd was to watch their young talent finally blossom without it. Old Kobe Bryant saying, hey, give me the ball, let me get a shot, let me get the last 25 or 5, 10 shots, let me do my thing. It's it's time for the young crew to come up. It's their time to 
steer the franchise into a new direction, get away from the whole Kobe, I'm the man era, and give it to the young boys and let them play. So congratulations to the Lakers on their first win. I don't think they're a playoff team, but they're one of the top three exciting teams to watch in this NBA season. Yeah, definitely a team trending upwards. I actually switched over in about the third quarter once it was uh, apparent that the World Series game was out of hand last night. And uh, a lot of good things on the court. You mentioned those those four young guys, adding Luol Deng, who's been around forever, it seems like, and brings a, a great deal of veter- veteran leadership to this team. is going to be a huge bonus. Whatever you get out of Timofey Mozgov, I know, you, I know you paid him a huge amount of money, but you need that big body in the middle, as we'll talk about later with the uh, Golden State Warriors seem to be lacking at the moment. So, it's, I, again, I think they made a wonderful move. The best young coach in the game, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, and you were right. The people were into it. The fans of LA, the fickle fans of LA, they're not all Clipper fans anymore. They're, they will go back to the gold and purple, but I'm still not a fan of Swaggy P. I watched him yesterday pick, take the ball on a, on a pass from uh, from D'Angelo Russell, pull up for a three, completely miss it, and, though, and, and then he goes down the other end of the court, gets agi- agitated, and decides to foul James Harden just because. And this was after James Harden came up and wildly shot that ugly three and then flopped to the floor like he got fouled. I am as sick of James Harden as I am of Draymond Green. Like, both of them, I'm just over them. Uh, again, somebody just needs to put them both in their place. And James Harden, dude, we get it. You uh, you want to take 40 shots a game and play no defense. But it, it, you're, you're, you're starting to be shown uh, as a little bit of a fraudulent player, as Mo likes to refer to my man Kirk Cousins. This guy's a little bit of a fraud. He can score at when he wants to, but there's just times where he disappears and he takes a lot of stupid shots. So why Swaggy P would decide to put this guy at the line where he's still a very good free throw shooter is beyond me. But regardless, it's it's fun. It's a lot of uh, it's a lot of good things that will be coming to Los Angeles basketball. And you know, it's about time that the Lakers get back to relevance because it's been you know as bad as it's been for the Knicks, it's probably been worse for the Lakers over the past couple years. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and you pointed out Swaggy's mistake, and I tweeted this last night. I said, I would prefer Lou Williams in the game over Swaggy P. Yeah. But a lot of Lakers, diehard Lakers fans are saying, well, Swaggy P has been making strides in the offseason, and he's trying to, you know, revamp his image and play better defense, and I saw that effort from him. But just like you said, Luke Walton has to pull this guy aside and say, hey, I want you in at the end of the game. If you're going to play defense, great. But do not jack up any shots. No. I don't need jacking up shots and then making mistakes on the opposite end of the court. So if he can keep his shooting tendencies under control, then I'm fine with him. But I don't know how long he's going to hold off Jordan Clarkson in that starting lineup. I think eventually Clarkson comes in and he starts. As I said many episodes ago, I wanted Jordan Clarkson for the Knicks because I felt like he would be the perfect two-guard over Courtney Lee. But we'll talk about that later. I'm really a fan. Of, I'm a big fan of Jordan Clarkson. I think he's going to be a big part of one of the biggest parts of that big three or big four and that young crew that the Lakers have. But about James Harden, James Harden, he, the thing is, I think people are annoyed by James Harden. James Harden is an extraordinary scoring talent. I wouldn't call him a complete talent. To me, he falls into the, he falls into the Carmelo Anthony category. I know that's going to make you cringe a little bit because I know you probably like Carmelo Anthony, but he falls into that category where the player is not complete they're very very good scoring talents they're not complete i I would say carmelo is more clutch in critical moments than james harden and he's a better shooter than james harden but i i heard a stat last night while i was listening i think it was mark jones and mark jackson was calling they were calling the game and james harden took james harden made more free throws than the next person attempted so say what you want about james harden the guy knows how to get to the line 
He knows how to milk the clock and get his points. He he had, I believe, 17 assists last night. He's going to play point guard for the Houston Rockets this year under Dan Tony's offense. So it's basically going to unleash him. And I think James Harden is going to have some crazy triple-double stat lines this year because he is the entire offense. And when he's not on the court, that team also struggles. So they need a secondary scorer. But again, I think James Harden, his whole look, his image, that beard, that that mohawk, I think it started to it started to wear on people, and they're just sick and tired of seeing him on the line shoot free throws, flop on the court, and his basically his ridiculous beard and mohawk combination. Yep, shave it off. You'll lose some endorsement <laughs> deals, but you'll gain some respect. That is it for the cold open. We'll be right back with open mic, and we're going to talk lots more NBA. Be right back. Open mic. Well, that was only the opening game for the Golden State Warriors. People are already hitting the panic button. If you missed the game, the Warriors lost 129 to 100 against the Spurs. Greg Popovich pulled another one out of his hat and just dominated, honestly, from the opening bars until the end. Uh, people are saying, you know, is this going to work? There's too many guys that want the ball. You know, who's going to put who's going to be the big body down in the middle? And these are all, you know, legitimate questions to to figure out going forward. Who's going to step up for this Golden State team when you really don't have anybody that, you know, is willing to to share the wealth and especially put a big body down low? So, I mean, Mo, looking at the fact uh, you've got Clay, you've got Steph, and you've got Kevin Durant, who is going to be, I guess, who's going to have to take a back seat eventually and, and lose a number of shots during the game for this team to succeed? Well, thank you, so right. Clay Thompson struggled early. He's going to be the odd man out because no matter what, Stephen Curry is still going to get his shots. As you know, Kevin Durant is going to get his shots. Those are going to be your two main players. And then you're going to have everyone else is basically going to be secondary. I don't worry about Draymond Green because he's he can contribute in so many different ways. On the defensive end, he can block shots. You know, he, he's an irritant out there on the perimeter. And he can also shoot threes. And you saw that he was, he was pretty much on... And that first game, he scored, I believe, 18 points. Scored more than Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson, who's a rhythm shooter, is not going to have that same rhythm when you have Steph Curry and Kevin Durant taking shots away from him. Clay Thompson is going to have to make his bones on the defensive end. Now, people spoke about him being a two-way player in his, in his first few years, and he's going to really have to work on his def- defense more than his offense because, again, he's not going to have that same rhythm he's had in years past as part of the Splash Brothers with Steph Curry as the number two shooting option. Now he's number three. So, he, again, he's going to have to work on the defensive end, and along with Draymond Green. So I believe Dre and Clay, the whole Dre and Clay show, they need to make their bones on the defensive end to make this team a lot better because, as you said, they don't have a rim protector when Zaza Pachulia is your starting center, and then you got JaVal McGee and then Anderson Flop Varejao as your centers. You're going to have to play better perimeter defense to deny the entry entry pass, and I think Clay Thompson and Draymond Green could do that. But I wouldn't hit the panic button Golden State yet. You you played the San Antonio Spurs, who are the best system team in the league. I figured the Warriors would either lose this game or barely win. So I'm not hitting the panic button yet. They're gonna they're gonna whip on the New Orleans Pelicans in a few nights anyway. But how about those Spurs? Kawhi Leonard, I think he's going to be the league MVP this year. 
Oh, that's uh, yeah. I mean, if the Spurs win, if they can get anywhere near the amount of wins that uh, people are were predicting for Golden State, it's very possible because I think I think honestly he is the best two way player in the NBA right now. And you look at the first game, and we talked last episode how you know our, our man Lamarcus Aldridge was a little butthurt that he wasn't the man. Well, he also played pretty well. He had what did he have? He had twenty six points, fourteen boards. Uh, I mean, that's a heck of a number two option that. Kawhi is going to have to lean on during the season because again, Parker's older, Ginobili's older. So I mean, they have they have some other nice pieces on this team. They got Kyle Anderson. They obviously they got Gasol. So it's a team that's you know primed to win now. But again, for this team to go deep into the playoffs and potentially upset Golden State, a guy like Kawhi is going to need Lamarcus Aldridge at 31 years old to put up his you know possibly his best season yet in the NBA. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And like I said in the, in the previous episode. LaMarcus Aldridge is a great offensive weapon. He also rebounds very well. As you see, he has a mid-range shot. He can shoot a three now and then. And Kawhi Leonard can do basically everything else. And how about Jonathan Simmons coming up and with the LeBron block on Steph Curry, giving him flashbacks of the NBA Finals when LeBron blocked him? Yeah, I was going to ask you, who's Jonathan Simmons? Yeah, Jonathan Simmons is a guy who came on at the end of last year in the second half, and he pre- he pretty much played well because your boy Danny Green is mm-hmm. not playing well, and he's also no. injured. Yeah. Danny Green didn't play well last year, and he's injured for about three weeks. He's going to be out for about three weeks this year. So I think Danny Green eventually is going to lose his job to Jonathan Simmons unless they just let Danny Green start for, def- for defensive purposes and let Jonathan Simmons be the sixth man. But he's an unknown. He basically signed on as, as basically undrafted. Uh, had a had a small tryout and he proved himself and as you know Popovic he'll play you if you play well and Jonathan Simmons is showing out right now he could be in the six man conversation it, it's a long shot right now because people don't know him but as the season wears on and Popovic you know rests his old guys Tony Parker and Ginobili he's gonna soak up those minutes especially if Danny Green continues to disappoint. I know that's your North Carolina guy but yeah. he's been disappointing in the last two years. Yeah he'll come he'll come around in like June. You know, when they probably need him, he'll come around. But let's move to the Knicks. Uh, People are already um, jumping off the bandwagon, I guess the best way to put it, after one loss. And give me a break. It was against the Cleveland Cavaliers on the same night that the World Series Game 1 is going on. And just moments after, Cleveland gets their championship rings and brings down the banner. Did anyone really expect the Knicks to stay in that game? I was shocked that they were there for three quarters. Yes, they got blown out towards the end, but... It's one game against the reigning NBA champions. I'm more annoyed that the Knicks had to open up in Cleveland against them than anything. So, look, everything wasn't perfect, okay? This team still has a long ways to go. Derrick Rose made perfect notice of that after the game. I actually think Rose looked pretty good for the majority of the game. But again, this guy, this whole team needs to gel. They need to get on the same page. We need Courtney Lee to play better defense. We need Joe Kim Noah to to do something out on the court. Carmelo looked like Carmelo. And again, the 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 bench it's got to be it's got to be a lot better okay they went out and they added a bunch of pieces a couple we don't know a couple of signed guys like ron baker they just they need to gel and it's game one of 82 so everybody that's saying the knicks are doomed to win 17 games just relax it's the first game but i mean with that being said mo is there anything that you know we should as knicks fans potentially point to as a problematic area well yeah, and I looked at the stats before I got on this show, right? Because I'm a stats guy. I'm a numbers guy. So I'm looking at the stats. And of the teams that have played already, the Knicks dead last in assists, 17 assists for the entire team. 
Now, again, it's the first game, so you really can't jump on them for the first game. They're gelling. They have three new starters, four rookies off the bench. I get it, yes. But if you're running some variation of the triangle and you're enforcing ball movement, 17 assists in the first game against the world champions is kind of alarming because we kind of saw Carmelo Anthony revert back to, you know, kind of ball stopping. And uh, Charles Barkley pointed to a couple of things. And he said, number one, the Knicks bench is wretched. And I, I get it. They have four rookies. And I, I feel like it's going to take some time for someone to really step up off the bench. If you're waiting on Kyle Quinn to step up as your sixth man at the bench, you have a problem. Yeah, stop it. Brandon Jennings, I really like him, but he's an inefficient shooter. He's, I, for his career, he's a 39% shooter from the field. Not from three-point land. From the field, he shoots 39%. That's poor. He gives you the flash and flavor at point guard, but he doesn't give you the shooting efficiency. Lance Thomas is a decent piece, but let's be honest, he's not a scoring threat consistently. I believe he only puts up eight eight shots a game, and he's a mid-range shooter. He doesn't shoot three ball very well. So you're going to need someone to step up. I think Kuzmingis, Kuzmingis, or Kuzminskis, I believe his name is pronounced. But uh, I think he's going to step up to be that prolific score off the bench because he can drive to the hoop and he can shoot the three ball. I watched him in Rio. I watched him in the preseason. I think he's the guy you may want to look at as your sixth man off the bench who can be a versatile scorer and kind of uplift the scoring in the second unit. Now, Charles Barkley had a suggestion, which I thought about for a while, and I kind of said, it makes sense at first. And, and then I thought about it, and I said, no, it doesn't. He suggested that Porzingis come off the bench because... Carmelo Anthony dominates the ball. And then you have Derrick Rose, who's a score-first point, score point guard. So that takes shots away from Porzingis. It kind of stunts his growth on the offensive end. I get that. But bringing him off the bench is not good right now because Joe Kim Noah, he admitted he's not up to speed on, on the defensive end. Porzingis gives you some rim protection with Joe Kim Noah not at 100%. Courtney Lee is not an aggressive scorer. And I said this when the Knicks signed him. I said, Courtney, signing Courtney Lee is not a big deal. Not a big deal at all. He was with the Memphis Grizzlies when they needed a two-guard to score. He couldn't do that. He's basically a guy who stands in the corner, and he takes maybe six to eight shots a game. He'll make maybe three or four of them. He'll give you 10 to 12 points, maybe eight points on average. He's not an aggressive scorer. He's not going to give you the scoring that you need when Derrick Rose and Carmelo Anthony are having off nights. You need you need Porzingis on the court. Just in case one of those guys are not on point, you need Porzingis for defense, and you need him for offense. And that's how he helps the starting five. I think people were too high on Courtney Lee coming onto the team as this, oh, he's 3 and D. He's going to shoot threes automatically. He's going to, he's going to lock down the other team's shooting guard small forward. He's not going to do that. He's an average, mediocre player. Again, it's going to give you eight points, maybe shoot 44%, and nothing else. He doesn't give you any steals, doesn't give you any assists. He's he's a nondescript player. And again, the Knicks are not in trouble yet, but it's going to take a while. And I'm going to toot my own horn here again. The Knicks are not going to win 50 games, people. Let's just come to the realization that they're in the 45 to 48 range if they remain healthy. So let's chill on the Knicks, but let's understand that this team does have some issues. Yeah, I mean, Courtney Lee is not going to play 20 minutes and score no points again and go 0 for 5 from the field. Noah's not going to play 20 minutes again and score 0 points. I mean, it's it's first game jitters. My biggest, biggest concern probably was watching the game is that 
Porzingis, while he was five for thirteen and three for five from the three point line, it seemed like he was out of position a lot. You know, when he's when he's uh, playing defense, it seems like he was covering uh, Kyrie Irving plenty of times, way too many times on the wing. And then again, who who's down low? Just Noah. That's the thing with Carmelo. Is he a three or is he a four? Because we have to figure out somebody has to help Noah down low. And you saw LeBron continuously drive to the hole because we when you just have Noah down there. Okay, that's just one guy. So you need to figure out where you're gonna place where you're gonna place Porzingis, where you're gonna place Melo, and you need to stick with that. Now it seems like every other game, uh, Porzingis is coming out a little bit further than the three point line. I get that he's a pretty solid three point shooter, but you still need that big body down low to assist Noah. He can't take on two men. I mean, it's just this is not physically possible that he can cover two guys at once. So going forward, it'll be an interesting dilemma. I don't like Kyle O'Quinn. Uh, Willie Hernan Gomez has got a long ways to go, as does your man Kuzamakis. So whomever um there's still is still a little bit of a lack of length on that on that bench but you know i'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt it was one game so be it staying with another team that surprisingly was on tv the other night the philadelphia 76 and did you see my man the philly fan giving the double bird to russ last night that was crazy i i laughed and then i realized that that guy is someone's grandfather yeah and that's embarrassing. That's the Philly fan's grandfather, actually. Very but it, it's the did, biggest... Did, 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 real quick, did you see the video? A fan, but as he was being escorted out of the arena, out of Wells Fargo Center, a fan took a video, and he's like, he's telling this this guy who flipped Westbrook the bird that he's going to be an internet hero. And then the ejected fan looks in the camera and says, you like that? And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Kirk Cousins, it's going to get more idiot fans to get in the stands and do stupid things like this. Yes, but that that's the issue, but that's that's the world we live in. Now, my bigger question about this is all that we, obviously we did not see Ben Simmons on the floor last night. He is out for an indefinite amount of time because he broke that fifth metatarsal in his foot, which is pretty much the same exact injury that Joel Embiid had. Now, Joel Embiid came back. Uh, one of the players last night on the court likened him a lot in his game to a Hakeem Olajuwon, so that is some pretty big uh, shoes to fill. It's only one game, so everybody just, you know, he looked good, but it's still one game. He had 20 points. But the bigger fact with Simmons is that some people are speculating that the Sixers should shut him down already for the entire season, a la Embiid. Uh, is this something that is really uh, would, would do them any good? Look, I mean, we, we don't expect the Sixers to win more than 20 games. Even that might be a lot. So do should they do that? One. And then two, uh, this team still has way too many centers. They still got Sarkis. They got Noel. They've, they've obviously got Embiid. So this team has a lot of parts that they still need to figure out where they're going to go. But I just don't know that sitting Simmons for an entire year, while it, it may still work out for Embiid, is that really going to help this team gain any kind of traction, or are they just going to continue to be in the same pattern of you know nothing as they are now? I look at the situation as black and white. If Ben Simmons is 100% healthy, then you bring him back. If he is not even if he's if he doesn't reach 90% healthy by the end of the season, because I know he's working hard to get his way back on the court, then you let him sit. Because the worst thing you could do is is basically re-aggravate his injury, and he'll be out longer than he has to. Let him heal. He's the number one overall pick in the draft, so we have a lot invested in him. Let him get back to at least 90% before we get him back on the court. And if he is 90%, put him on a minutes restriction like you have all your other bigs because Jalil Okafor and Bead, and I'm sure Noel, when he gets back, they're all going to be on minutes restrictions anyway. So if you're going to bring him back because you want to have fans, you want to have butts in seats, you know, give him about 15 minutes a game, but don't let him overexert himself because, again, 
he is your future at this point. Now, what I will say about the Sixers is they need to trade Jaleel Okafor because at this point, you have Joel Embiid who can step out and hit a jumper. He proved that last night. And he's a pretty good shooter from the free throw line. Once Noel comes back, he's going to be your inside presence. So you need to trade Jaleel Okafor for some real shooters because do you see the guards that they have on their team? Uh. Gerald Henderson, Hollis Thompson, like who? Jeremy Grant. No disrespect to Horace and Harvey Grant, but Jeremy Grant, like these guys can't hit a three pointer. So bring in, trade off Jalen Okafor, get yourself a real shooting guard or a real small forward, just a swing man who could stretch the floor and hit a couple three pointers to kind of give, you know, your inside guys some space, give Noel some space, give Joel and B some space. And the Sixers will be fine as long as they handle their personnel right. But they have way too many bigs. I know Joel, Joel, I know uh, Noel has been involved in a lot of trade talks. I think they should keep him as the inside presence. And like I said, Jaleel Okafor can step out and hit a jumper, but so can Joel Embiid. So you don't want to have too much of the same thing. Just get a shooting guard, you know, progress this team. Wait for Ben Simmons. Be patient with it. Trust the process. Yeah, I was actually surprised that they didn't go after a guy like R.J. Hunter, who was waived by the Celtics, who I'm actually surprised that he was waived after one season with the Celtics after being a first-round pick. But he goes to the Bulls and, you know, potentially might be able to give them something off the bench. But, you know, Noel, again, excuse me, not Noel. uh, We're talking about, obviously, our man here who is Simmons. He gained 33 pounds in the offseason. So we talked about he was skinny and he needed to put something on that six for 10 frame it's now 250 pounds so the kid's got the kid is headed in the right direction i still like brandon ingram a whole lot better but we hope that he gets on the court sometime soon because again philly they need a lot of help and uh there's nothing that this kid can do but help uh moving on to another team that is kind of lost in translation the Pelicans and Anthony Davis last night putting a 50 points, 16 boards, seven steals, and three blocks to be the first guy in NBA history to do such. But I feel like this this guy is actually in a worse situation than James Harden and Houston because no matter what they do, how many points he puts up, it's still not enough because he just does not have a supporting cast around him. I mean, what do you do if you're Anthony Davis? I mean, do you do you hope to to stay healthy enough that one day the team trades you finally and get something for you because this, they're just they're going nowhere fast. I don't see Anthony Davis as that guy demanding a trade, but if you look at the lineup that's around him, it is atrocious. Yeah. Like your second best player is, is either Tim Frazier, who? who came to the team late last year on a 15 day contract, or it's Lance Stevenson, who is a complete enigma. Everything else on the roster, those guys can't score points. So it's not a surprise that Anthony Davis put up 50 points and still lost it, to the Denver, I believe the Denver Nuggets, is it? The uh, Denver yes. Nuggets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, it, it's it's sad to see a transcendent talent like that. Once he's finally healthy, he doesn't even have the help. So I don't see the Pelicans going anywhere. It's going to take a while for Buddy Hill to, to be the shooter that we think he could be when he showed at Oklahoma. So that's going to take a a bit of some time. Tyreek Evans is on the injury report for like the 80th time in his career. He had, I believe, knee surgery and there was some blood clotting issues. Not going to be back till late November, early December. And as you know, Drew Holiday is tending to his wife, who I believe had a, a tumor removed brain. So he's doing he's doing the recommended thing, and the team is not rushing him back, which is a great thing to do because, as we know, life is you know life and family much bigger than basketball so drew holiday he's doing the right thing let him do his thing take care of his family his responsibilities they also have you know child so 
let him take care of that. But as far as on the court, Anthony Davis, I feel so bad for him. Because now people are saying that Carl Anthony Towns has surpassed Anthony Davis as the transcendent big man in the league. And I'm, I'm a little hesitant to say that because Carl Anthony Towns has only played one year. Let's see how he pans out. Anthony Davis has been in it for a while. But it's just that he's been injured so much that he's been deemed unreliable in that sense of his availability. But when he is on, he's on. He can shoot. He can rebound, block shots, get steals, perimeter defense, all that stuff. But the Pelicans just did not do enough to surround him with any talent. Well, that's the thing. And I just feel like we've seen this story before where we've got this guy with the world full of talent. But, you know, he plays on a bad team. And if he gets hurt, he's not going to help the team. So this same team is going to continue to get top five picks every year. So, I mean, I just I don't know where they're headed. Again, they're not going to trade this guy right now because he's too young. He's too valuable. He's the reason that anybody comes to watch this team play. It's not because, you know, anybody else on the roster. So, you know, you just hope that eventually a lot like Boogie Cousins, a lot like all of these these Kentucky big men that they eventually they get out of the current situation they're in because half the country doesn't even know what they're capable of if you really don't follow the sport you know inside and out but really great player he shows what they could do and you know we hope one day that he's on a major stage and you know look if if they ever try to if the pelicans ever trade this guy they're going to get a ton of things for him i don't even know if a team has enough to trade for him but again pelicans aren't going anywhere anytime soon so you know a year two years from now if they if they kind of decide that well we're not going anywhere with them we might as well get rid of them and, and rebuild then that's probably the right move Knicks, get on the phone you know <laughs> Get Anthony there, Phil, Jack, Phil Jackson, get on the phone, pick up the phone. If you got to give up Carmelo Anthony, and I know that sounds blasphemous, yeah. but if you got to give up Carmelo Anthony and some draft picks to have Anthony Davis and Porzingis in your front court, you do it. You do it in a heartbeat. Trust me, it will work out. Then you can, you know, finagle some parts. Maybe sign back Derrick Rose if he shows some promise this year, and you'll have a new big three with Davis and Porzingis leading the way. Pick up the phone, Phil. Pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah, but you and I both know that Carmelo would never accept a trade to New Orleans. I don't even know where he would accept the trade to at this point. It's probably like three or four teams. Yeah, he's not going in. No, maybe you go. To, maybe the Clippers. Maybe he'd go to L.A. I don't know. They just. It would have to be. He would have to join up with one of his banana boat buddies. If yeah. it's not like the Cavaliers, it would have to be the Clippers where they're still intact. While Blake Griffin, something like that. Absolutely. Switching it up to baseball. Well, we are tied up. Game two of the World Series was last night. Chicago Cubs put a little bit of a hurting on the Indians. 5-1. I only say 5-1 hurting because if you watch the game, Jake Arrieta was absolutely dominant through five and two-thirds inning. Had six strikeouts, two hits. Uh, had, had a no-hitter going until the sixth inning. Only allowed three walks. Uh, and Chicago finally did their part with the bats. Uh, it was funny. The night before when they were shut out, obviously, by the Indians, 6 nothing. Uh, the Cleveland Police Department uh, actually put on Twitter, we are issuing a missing missing persons report for the Chicago Cubs bats. So funny, but a little bit too early in the series because as we saw last night, Kyle Schwarber, the guy did not play all season. He he played three games after destroying his knee. Uh, they added him to the world to the, the the World Series roster. He played I think two games in the Arizona Fall League, and the guy picked up 
exactly where he left off last year. He's just ripping the ball. I mean, he's 23 years old, and, you know, this is why the Yankees wanted him originally for Aroldis Chapman. But getting back to the game, uh, I mean, everybody seemed to hit. Uh, it was a three-run fifth inning. Schwarber and Ben Zobers both had RBIs in the same frame. Uh, Chicago scored another run when Addison Russell walked with the bases loaded. So, again, it's only game two. We're tied 1-1. We're going back to Chicago for three. Obviously, if you had to pick a winner right now, you'd have to give the, you know, you'd have to give the odds to Chicago because they're going home for three games. But in that in that stadium, Wrigley Field, anything is possible. We are already know that Cleveland is going to uh, throw Corey Kluber in game three. Uh, so do not be surprised if you see Corey in one, three, six, and maybe in seven in some kind of relief capacity. Because as we said all along, this Cleveland team is short on pitching. Even though Danny Salazar was uh, he was brought back to the to the World Series roster, we don't know in what kind of capacity. Uh, probably won't start because he hasn't thrown a pitch in over a month. Uh, if anything, you look at a long relief role coming out of the bullpen. But uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's exciting. It's fun. These two first two games have been a little bit of a blowout. But you know, don't give up too quick on it. There's still plenty of uh, plenty of excitement to come. Oh, but did, have you caught any of the action yet? I mean, I, I've I've clicked into it, but just real quick, I believe Kyle Schwarber is the first person to not play yeah. in the season and then play in the World Series. Were you <laughs> surprised that the Chicago uh, Cubs made this move? Yeah, you know. I honestly was. I mean, I, look, I, I saw Schwarber last year when he was a rookie. I, I know he hit 246, which is not great, but he did hit 16 home runs and 273 plate appearances. Uh, the, the thing is that you didn't have him all year, okay? And I know he's a left-handed bat, and obviously when you're you're playing in Cleveland, you, you can put in that DH, which is exactly what Schwarber is because he's a horrendous outfielder. Uh, he was a catcher, came up through the organization, but they don't want to keep him there to preserve his bat. I get that. But you didn't have him all year. So as much as I get, I guess Joe Madden is trying to use this as a motivational factor to get his team pumped up. And look, it's worked the first two games. The guy is hitting. I just kind of take it as a slight to the rest of the team that got Got you there. Jason Hayward hasn't played yet. You gave him a $180 million contract. Hasn't seen the World Series field yet. They started Solaire last night. So it's, I don't know. I think while it helps one regard, it's also pretty much destroying Jason Hayward's confidence going forward. So, you know, I take it as a little bit of a, you know, a, a sleight of hand kind of thing where if I'm Hayward I'm saying I'm pissed you know I mean what is he gonna do he's getting paid but you want to play and this is the biggest stage ever this this is what you play for the entire year and he was there even though he had a horrible season he still helped this team throughout the playoffs so I was totally surprised but uh you know so far it's 1-1 so I mean there's still a lot of moves that will happen I don't know what's gonna go exactly to plan when Schwarber and the Cubs go back to Chicago tomorrow night because, like I just said, not a good defender. Hasn't played all year. The last time he played the outfield, he ran into Dexter Fowler and tore his knee to shreds. So uh, it'll be interesting. Do I? But, again, don't be surprised if Joe Madden puts him in left field and just hopes for the best because he wants to keep his bat in the lineup. Yeah, he, he did say that he wasn't against putting him out there in the field, but we'll see how that goes. But there's one thing that kind of uh, peeved me about way MLB is running this uh, or their playoff series in general and then this World Series. Number one, I think Rob Manfred needs to change the whole whoever wins the All-Star game gets home field because if you look at it, Chicago Cubs had 103 wins. The Cleveland Indians had 94. And the Chicago Cubs also had the MLB's best home record at 57-24. and 24. The Cleveland Indians were basically a 500 team on the road this year. So home field does mean something in these MLB series. And I think, again, this needs to be changed. How can you have an exhibition game have bearing on the biggest series 
in your league. It just doesn't make sense. It's like having the NFL Pro Bowl decide, okay, well, one team's going to get home field. Or a better, better example is the NBA All-Star Game. If the winner of, of, I don't know, the Eastern Conference wins then or the Western Conference wins, then that, that bears on who gets the home field in, in the final NBA Finals. I don't think that makes any sense. I believe that was, that was uh, Bud Selig's move before he got out of office, but... Again, I think that needs to be switched along with the whole 2-3-2. I don't like the 2-3-3-2 format. The NBA went back to the 2-2-1-1-1 format. Because if you're in the finals and it's between two teams, it is hard to beat a team three times in a row, whether you're home or on the road. So I think they need to spread that out. Yes, I get it. For traveling purposes, it's a lot easier for both teams. But, I mean, we're in an age now where you can hop on a plane and you can be from point A to point B in a snap. So I, I don't believe the one 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 thing at the end, game five, six, and seven, would make that much of a difference. But uh, maybe I'm, I'm just rooting for the Cubs and I'm just looking for those slights. But I think that's a disservice to them because, again, and they had the best record at home. They had 103 wins. They had 10 more wins, almost 10 more wins, than the Cleveland Indians. So I believe they deserve home field advantage in this case. Well, that's, that's the only thing, though, about baseball is that long before that this new rule was instituted that the winner of the All-Star game gets home field is that it was just alternating every year. So it's not even the fact that, you know, if, say, the National League had won the All-Star game, it, it would have gone back to whoever's turn it was. And it, that's recently changed a little bit, too, when the All-Star game is where every year it would alternate. It would be in an American League park or it would be in a National League park. But now that's out the window and they're going to, I think it's like three National League parks in a row. So it's interesting to see how exactly this is going to go uh from here on out but again i understand why they instituted it they were trying to make the all-star game exciting some people like it i like it necessarily because you know it is just an exhibition but people take it a little more serious the managers manage to win instead of just managing to put on a show but that's the thing they they kind of you can't have it both ways it's got to be one or the other it's either an exhibition game or it means something but it's hard, you know. You're trying to you're trying to appease all the people involved, and you know there's always going to be somebody that is kind of against what is being said. But regardless, go to two two one 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 makes sense to me. It gives people more of an opportunity, to, especially if you're down, say three to one or two games to one or whatever it might be at the time, to you know to spin it around. Because like you said, it's hard enough to beat a team when you're playing, you know, uh, 18 times a year if you're playing the same division. Imagine three times in a row uh, in enemy territory. That can't be easy. Right. It's just, I don't know, again, maybe because I'm rooting for the Cubs, I'm seeing these slights as, as bigger than what they are, but I just feel like if a team wins over 100 games and they have the clear-cut best record, give them a home-field advantage. Like, I, And I will say this about the MLB All-Star game. I, I watched it at times even before they it meant something. I, I just like the whole MLB All-Star, the art, the feeling of it, from the home run derby to everything that they do. And I don't think they needed to add this, okay, whoever wins importance for the World Series. I just didn't think it was needed, but I, I guess when you're when you're looking to pull in fans and you want to pull in importance and you make changes, and sometimes when you look up years later and you see the result, you see that maybe the changes just weren't needed or just unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, maybe they just didn't want to be the NFL Pro Bowl, which we all know is yeah. a joke. But you know, at least ever watch the football. Yeah, I think they, I think they actually did away with that fan fantasy vote this year, which is, which is probably a good thing. But sticking with baseball, on news that was reported many episodes ago, when it was, I'm sorry, I don't want to laugh, but Yoenis uh, Cespedes <laughs> reportedly is gonna opt out of his contract, and this is something that I said 
would happen. Eaton Lowe was like, no, it's not going to happen. He's loyal to the team. Why would he leave two years and $47.5 million on the table? Well, because he can. And he's going to because, according to reports, soon after the World Series is over, that's exactly what he is going to do. This is what happens when you give a guy an opt-out clause. It's, it happened in basketball this season. It's, it's, it, it just makes sense and look it's possible that he could come back to the Mets he he signed a three-year 75 million dollar deal but I don't see it happening because of the situation that he seemed to get into with manager Terry Collins uh Look, he still had a great offensive year, 280, uh, a 530 on-base plus slugging. The guy can still clearly rake, okay, hit over 30 home runs, close to 100 RBIs. But the issue was that they put him in center field, and he was against it from the get. And what did it do? It hurt his defensive metrics. It, it hurt his quad, which is a reason that his, you know, his offensive numbers weren't as good as they traditionally were. So, unfortunately, I think with Terry Collins coming back at least one more year, and he stated on the record already, he doesn't know how much more he'll manage because of his... Uh, you know health questions I just don't know if you're going to see Cespedes come back to the Mets uh, and I was talking to with a couple people today it's this is another this is a weird team there's a lot of there's a lot of missing pieces that they need to add to in the in the offseason uh, will they have the money obviously I don't know because Jay Bruce is coming back he's got one year left at 17 million Granderson's got one year left he had a decent year 35 home runs but he batted about 230 and you got to play Michael Conforto the problem is with all three of those guys you no longer have a, have a center fielder so even if you re-sign Cespedes again, you still don't have a center fielder. So if you put Lagarius into the situation, who can't really seem to hit his weight, you have a center fielder defensively, but you've weakened your offense. Will David Wright come back? Uh, you're bringing back Jose Reyes because he's got $500,000 that he can make next year, which is nothing. Okay, so you put him to second because you're probably not going to re-sign Neil Walker. Maybe as Drupal Cabrera plays as well as he did this year, you don't know what you're getting out of Lucas Duda. And that's before you even get to the pitching staff with all the guys that are coming back from injury so while it probably makes sense to re-sign Cespedes just because he's the one constant in that lineup you really would be better off spending that money on a bunch of other things because of how much need there is now Cespedes is one player that could put a team over the hump okay a lot, of t- a lot of teams, the San Francisco Giants would, would love this guy in left field he would add a huge dynamic to them I mean Toronto, uh, there, there's a, there's plenty, Texas, there's a ton of teams, the Washington Nationals, the Dodgers, I mean, even possibly the Yankees could potentially put uh-huh. this guy in the equation, and it would make more sense than the Mets. Now, I know you don't want to hear that, but I told no. you from the beginning that he was going to opt out, and lo and behold, he's going to opt out. So uh, don't don't purchase that Suspidus jersey just yet. Yoannis Cespedes, you partial trader, you. Partial. You went for the you went for the mo. You're going for the mo money, mo buckets train. Yeah, you I, love that. You it. love I, it. Yeah. I, yeah, I understand. I totally get it. And there's a reason why players put opt outs in their contracts because guess what? They're probably going to want to opt out for more money and sign elsewhere if they're not happy with their situation. So I, I totally get it with uh, Cespedes and why he's doing it. You briefly mentioned it. As long as he just doesn't wind up in pinstripes, it's cool. Because I know you guys, I believe you have Brent Garner left field or something like that. Well, we do, but we're trying to trade him because he, you know, he hit six home runs this year, so that doesn't help. Exactly. So as long as he doesn't end up in in the pinstripe outfield, fine. But if he actually goes from Queens to the Bronx. Love it. Then I'm ripping the Cespedes poster (laughs) off my wall. I'm taking back the jersey. I'm selling it. You are a traitor if you do that. You cannot go across town. 
cannot do that. No, you can. And we will welcome you with open arms <laughs> and we will we'll be very happy to have you as part of the Chankies. Number 52, wearing pinstripes. Yoannis Cespedes. Just he does. He will be booed. Oh, he yeah. will be renowned as as the worst in recent Mets history to to trade in his his Mets jersey for a Yankees jersey. I mean, come on, seriously. Yeah, I mean, I I would prefer him to go across country to the Giants to help them win the World Series. I wouldn't even be mad at that because at least he's he's chasing money and some some wins and a World Series championship, but. To go to the Bronx and do that? Come on. Yeah, in all, in all honesty, I, I don't see him going to the Yankees just because knowing what I know about the Yankees, we have this new I-don't-want-to-spend-money policy that the Steinbrenners have implemented. They're all about the farm system, which is fine. Obviously, trading Andrew Miller and our oldest Chapman, who, by the way, are facing each other in the World Series, got them a whole bunch of prospects, but that's what they are. They're just prospects, and the Yankees still have plenty of salary uh, to deal with. Uh, next year, though, they're about $75 million coming off, so they're getting ready for that 2000 I think it's 2019 uh, crop of free agents, the Bryce Harpers of the world, the Nolan Arenados. Uh, hopefully they'll spend by then, but I, I don't see them dropping anything huge in 2017 or 2018 for that matter, just because, you know, our, it's, they're going a different route. They're going to try and hope that these kids can get them to the next level. And then when the time comes to add a big, big bat like a Harper or an Arenado, Maybe maybe it'll get the Yankees back to the promised land, but by then the Mets will probably be you know the uh, Philadelphia Phillies of the world. So I can wipe the sweat off my forehead and, and realize that I don't have to hate you and assess for signing with the Empire. Then. Yeah, if yeah, I just... if I had to bet right now, I would say he either goes to the Dodgers or the Giants. I don't know why. I just have a feel. Oh, I know why because they need him, but I I just have a feeling that he's going to end up somewhere on the West Coast, and uh, yeah, it would, both teams could definitely use him. Probably, uh, I if I had to say right now, I'd probably say the Giants could use him more. But after watching uh, the Dodgers implement Andrew Tolles in the outfield and Andre Ethier and guys like that, uh, that's why they lost to to the you know to the Cubs that they they needed another stick. So well, that's it for this segment. We're going to be right back with building momentum, and we're going to talk lots of NFL. Stay tuned. It's now time for building momentum. Well, it's never a good thing to be happy that a player's season is over due to injury, but if you're a Jets fan and you're like me and you're sick of Geno Smith, it's not the worst thing in the world, all right? He was officially put on the IR with a torn knee, and Mo's going to call me a jerk, a joke, or a jerk, either or, both maybe, but I just, I didn't see it in Geno Smith ever leading this team to the promised land. I hope he gets healthy. I hope he comes back and he leads another team to a couple wins, but... His time in New York, Mo, is done. We know that he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So where do the Jets go from here? Well, basically, okay, first of all, I will say this. You are a jerk. Because <laughs> Kino Smith deserved another chance. He actually played well when he came in and started that game. And unfortunately, he didn't get to finish against the Ravens. But he started pretty well. Ryan Fitzpatrick also played well. But I wanted to see... What Gino could do with a full slate of weapons, and now we'll never get to see that because he is his career in, in New York, as far as with the Jets, is over. This is his last chance to extend his time with Gang Green because he could have again he could have pulled a Fitzpatrick and had a good year and got a maybe a one year extension. That's not going to happen. You're going to move on with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick now. I don't even think Ryan Fitzpatrick can do anything at this point to get another one year extension. No. I think it's time for Christian Hackenberg, Bryce Petty, or a veteran. 
they are giving Christian Hackenberg some backup snaps. He hasn't gotten a lot of snaps because obviously when you have four quarterbacks on the depth chart, your rookie is, is going to fall by the wayside. But Bryce Fetty, I believe he's the next man up if Ryan Fitzpatrick continues to struggle. Again, I know he finished the Baltimore Ravens games on a good note. But if he struggles in the next game or so, I mean, they have the Browns coming up, so it shouldn't be a problem there. But later in the season, if the Jets fall out of favor for a playoff spot or if Fitzpatrick starts throwing picks and becomes a turnover machine, I would expect to see Bryce Petty, who played well in the preseason. Now, I will say this. In the offseason, the Jets should probably look into a veteran quarterback. And I believe I listed them last episode. The Tony Romos, the Brian Hoyers, the Colin Kaepernick's of the world. You need to look into those guys just in case Christian Hackenberg or Bryce Petty don't prove to be ready for regular season action. Well, you got to give it to Fitzpatrick, though. He said, I, I think I should start every week. I play better as an underdog pissed off. And Coach yeah. Todd Bowles said, well, if he plays pissed off and it cuts down on the turnovers, he's all for it. Uh, so it, it's been a weird week in Jets land. This was after, obviously, Fitzpatrick led them back to the victory. And he came out and said, you know, I only, I only have myself. Nobody believes in me, the GM, the coach, the general, you know, the owner, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to feel bad for a guy that's played so poorly this year. Uh, I just, for one, hope that the Jets can string some wins together. Obviously, this week against the Browns, you can't drop a game like that to a, a winless team. But yeah, I'm all for let's get Bryce, let's get you know Bryce Petty in there. Let's see what this kid's got. He looked great in the preseason. You know, you you could have your your next starting quarterback on your roster already, and you might not even have had to go out and draft Christian Hackenberg because to me, he might be another Ryan Fitzpatrick because he didn't show much after one season in at Penn State. So I don't know, but it's just a really weird time to be a Jets fan uh, I hope I hope that Fitzpatrick plays well because there's still plenty of time in this in this season to potentially you know grab a wild card but you can't lose many more games I mean honestly if the Jets lose two more games that their chances of seeing the, the postseason are pretty much shot yeah it's pretty much done if it, I, I mean I don't want to give up on them yet because I, I understand they had a again they had a rough start to the season they had some tough opponents but if they can rally to if they can pull a Kansas City Chiefs like what they did last year and yeah. just rally to get like nine or ten wins which seems like a long shot but it could happen because again the only problem is that they had the New England Patriots twice oh. now I would feel more confident about it if they played the Patriots early and got that loss over with but you I pretty much can foresee two losses at least to the New England Patriots which puts them at nine and seven at best so. The AFC is, is pretty crowded this year because the AFC West is pretty competitive with three teams there, <clears throat> the Oakland Raiders. But uh, I, I think it's going to fall between, if the Jets can even rally off a win streak, it'll be between them and the Cincinnati Bengals for that final wild card spot, which is, again, which is a long shot. So I see Bryce Petty starting three to four games at the end of the season, the last quarter from weeks 13 to 17. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, if the Jets are going to lose any more games, let it be now because at least you can get in Petty and see if, if he is potentially the answer or then if the Jets need to go the route, which you suggested, which is sign a guy like a Tony Romo, if and when he is, you know, released. And if he is not released, then the Cowboys are really confused because Dak Prescott is the future. Uh, sticking with football, it seems like 30 is the new 40. Arian Foster is packing it in, calling it a career after only... Seven years? I, I, I can't even believe that he only played seven years in the NFL. He went undrafted out of the University of Tennessee in 2009. Uh, the guy honestly had 
an amazing career. Uh, 6,500 rushing yards, 54 touchdowns, 255 receptions, and 14 in the air. Four Pro Bowls, a first-time All-Pro player in 2010, a second-time Pro Bowl in 2011. I mean, the guy, the guy was was came out of nowhere, came on the scene uh, like a bat out of hell, and he, and it's kind of sad to just see him. That's it. He's done. And we've seen that the fact that, you know, players are at a much younger age these days are, are, are also calling it a career. Plenty of guys with the Niners are retired the past couple of years. Calvin Johnson would prefer to be dancing with the stars. So, um, you know, again, Gary Foster says that he's mostly healthy. He's he's has no regrets. He's happy with what he accomplished. Obviously, he's made enough money where he ne- never has to worry again about working another day. But you would have just thought that, um, you know, he would have given it another shot. I mean, I understand he lost his job to J.J. Who, who's been on a tear at the last two weeks but I, I still thought that there was plenty more in the tank for this guy especially if he would have gone to a team that needs a running back and there are plenty of teams that need a running back you know the New York Giants for one could definitely use a guy especially one that comes out of the backfield so um, you know we wish Arian all the best but I'm just kind of I was kind of confused I, I don't know if this was more of a uh, kind of a disgusting saying you know that he lost his position after coming back from an injury or you know if he literally you know is true to his word and doesn't really need the game anymore Arian Foster is an interesting character because I I watched a lot of uh, just a lot of things, docs, mini docs on him, and he's very he's a very thoughtful person. Yeah. He's not some uh, dumb jock as people would peg many NFL players to be. He's very thoughtful. Uh, he he writes poetry poetry. He reads a lot, and I think he realized that his time as an NFL player was just done. He had 22 rushes for 55 yards, 2.5 yards per carry. And as you said, the JHI takeover has, has begun. And I feel like he, he felt, if I can't contribute on a level that I feel I should be at, then I shouldn't be in the game. And if you remember, it took him a while before he signed with the Dolphins. He he went through the whole offseason without signing with anyone, and it was said that he was taking his time with his decision. And usually when you hear that, you realize that a player could be at the end of his road because a lot of players, they just want to get back into it. As soon as they are released, unless they're looking for a contender, they just want to get back in the game to prove that they can still play. Arian Foster took a while, and then he signed the Dolphins, who really didn't have a playoff outlook. So it kind of told you where he was in his career. So this retirement, the timing of it, was kind of surprising because I believe it happened during Monday Night Football was announced. Yeah. You know, mid-season. He didn't even finish the season. So what that tells you is that he he really feels like he's pretty much done. But on his send-off, he will be, I think he's going to be – known as one of the best Texans running backs in history. I know it's a short history because the Texans were just an expansion team not too long ago. But 6,472 yards and 54 touchdowns, that's going to stand for a while because in today's NFL, you have two-man running back backfields. And there's no, there's very little workhorses, one-man wrecking machines in the backfields anymore. You look at Adrian Peterson and guys like that, that's that's a thing of the past. And that's where Arian Foster was with the Texans. And, you know, he had a great career. So his send-off, pretty good for a guy who went undrafted. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it might be tough this year to see Los Angeles Rams and Jeff Fisher go 9-7 and because the current way that they're playing it leaves a lot to be desired. Obviously, they got a bye week to, uh, about to proceed. Uh, and Jeff Fisher came out and said, Jared Goff is going to get some reps, which is a byproduct of the bye week. He said that, quote, I don't feel Case Keenum needs the reps Wednesday and early next week, so Jared will get those reps. I, following the Giants' lost in London, which, again, you went all the way to London to get beat and play horribly, uh, he said Jeff, uh, Jeff Fisher said that it wasn't 
on Case Keenum, the four interceptions, that is, it was more a wide receiver problem and that he would replace the wide receivers before he replaced the quarterback. I don't understand the allegiance that this guy has to Case Keenum, one. Two, you're completely mishandling the first overall pick, something that could totally stunt this guy's growth for years to come. And three, what wide receivers? Kenny Britt? Kenny Britt should be a number three. Brian Quick should be a number five. There's nobody on this team that's a number one. And I'm sorry, Tavon Austin, who got like $45 million guaranteed contract, is like five foot seven and is not a wide receiver. He's a scat bag. It's a shot at little people, yes. But it's also more of a shot as he's not a number one. If you want to make him a slot receiver, that's fine. But you, you, like, I understand you. Okay, Case Keenum. That's the thing. He don't have main. He don't have great receivers. First of all, I don't think you need to be this saying smaller wide receivers. Wes Welker, who I know on paper they say five nine, but he's probably five seven and a half. Yeah. The guy's probably the best slot wide receiver in history. Okay, that's number one. Okay, number two. I mean, what would you expect from Jeff Fisher? I don't think he knows what he's doing as far as offense goes. Offense is concerned. If you look at Todd Gurley. Where's Todd Gurley been? Yeah, no way. even have wide receivers. You mentioned Tavon Austin, uh, Britt, guys like Brian Quick. That That's their wide receiving core. And that team needs to realize that they need to draft better at that position. I don't know where they're going with their offense. But, again, uh, Jared Goff, he's, he's going to be on the on the sideline until the Rams are pretty much out of contention. The Rams are 3-4. and four. I know they look terrible in their last three games, but they are still, believe it or not, in the playoff race, and they look pretty good at the beginning of the season. And they can get back to playing pretty good defense and get Todd Gurley going. They, they actually have a chance. As you've seen earlier, they match up well with the Seattle Seahawks. So until that happens, until they fall completely out of favor, I think Jeff Fisher is going to be very p- patient with Jared Goff and, him starting on the center because number one, he doesn't have any weapons. Number two, the point with Jared Goff and his success, a lot of people say, well, Jared Goff could be successful if Todd Gurley's playing well. Well, guess what? Todd Gurley hasn't had over 85 yards in any game this season. He's not playing well. Yeah. So he's going to throw Jared Goff out there while the offense is underperforming, and I think that's the smart move. That's the genius and Jeff Fisher, dare I say genius. Yeah. I wouldn't use the word genius a lot with Jeff Fisher, but in this case, I think he's right and holding off golf for a little bit longer. All right. Well, there you have it. Mo and uh, <laughs> Jeff Fisher are one being. Yeah, he's a pretty short guy, so I got to stick up for him <laughs> in this segment. But uh, uh, we'll move on to Denver, which is your favorite team probably in the NFL Stop outside it. of the New York sports teams because you root for them and pick them every week. Whoa. But, um, <laughs> Demarius Thompson, uh, Demarius Thomas, having issues with drops, uh, that doesn't sound unfamiliar to me because in my eyes, I've watched a lot of Denver games because, yes, they play in the same division as the Raiders, and he's always had drop issues. I mean, he's a great wide receiver. He, you know, he's not he's not the best. He's pretty good, but now and then he'll have the, he'll have the yips, yep. and he'll drop some passes, some open passes. I remember last season he said at first it was just jitters. I don't know what the excuse is now. Sometimes he just has stone hands, and it happens. This is, this is why Emmanuel Sanders is so important to that offense where Trevor Simeon can kind of dump off the ball and he can rack up yards after the catch because he's pretty quick. Yeah. With Demarcus Thomas, you kind of have to throw him fade around the end zone and hope he comes up with it, but also know that he's going to drop a few passes. 
The thing with Demarius Thomas is, while he is a, a very good wide receiver, and some on the in the organization feel he's a Hall of Fame talent, which uh, you know I don't know. I think he needs to have a couple more really good years for that to be legit. Uh, you got to remember, he was he was not very good before Peyton Manning. He was just an average to maybe even mediocre receiver, not living up to his first round pick designation. Then Peyton Manning came, and he became the Demarius Thomas that we know. And last year, when Peyton was no longer, you know. The Peyton of old, Demarius started to struggle and started to drop the ball and didn't seem much into the game. And now Trevor Simeon's the quarterback, and Demarius is even worse off than he was last year. So I think that Demarius is a byproduct of his quarterback. If you put a really good quarterback, if he was playing with Aaron Rodgers or Cam Newton or Andrew Luck, you would see a number one receiver. But for whatever the reason, call it concentration or, you know, just stone hands at times. When you put him with a less than great quarterback, he's just an average wide receiver. So I don't know. I don't know what they really are going to expect from him. Uh, you know, down the road, he's a good route runner. He's not the best. He doesn't have blazing speed. But, you know, when when he's catching a ball from a Hall of Famer, he kind of, he kind of puts it all together and he's able to shine. But, you know, that's that's not really the mark of a, of a Hall of Fame type uh, pass catcher. You know, you need need to make the quarterback better and I understand he can't make you know Trevor Simeon into Brett Favre but you know there there's a lot of times where he's just running an out route and drops a ball I mean I what what that's not Trevor Simeon's fault so again uh depending on what's going to happen with the Broncos obviously we know that CJ Anderson is now going to be out for the year I don't know how much more you're going to see Demarius Thomas with this team uh you know he could be a cap casualty starting next year which might be the best thing for his career like I said to go somewhere else with a with a quarterback uh, you know a Matt Ryan type a, a Kirk Cousins somebody that's got a big arm Russell so Wilson, Wilson could use a wide, a main wide receiver. There's plenty of, of teams that need a, I mean, imagine if he was in Buffalo with Tyrod Taylor, the things that could happen. And again, these aren't Hall of Fame quarterbacks. They're just really pretty good, a lot better than what Denver has right now. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Demarius has been really disappointing if you've got him on your fantasy team. But um, I mean, Denver's still, you know, depending on what's going to happen with Oakland and Kansas City, still fighting for that division lead. Yeah, you, and you mentioned it. In fairness to Demarius Thomas, in his first two years, he did have Kyle Orton and your yeah. boy Timmy Tebow exactly. throwing him the football. Sure. So maybe he, he caught the yips from the early years of having poor quarterbacks, and he's still getting over that. But uh, I, I don't know what's his issue with drops. I, he, maybe he needs to spend more time with the jug machine, catching passes with his open hands. Uh, I, I label him as one of those 1B wide receivers where he could be your number, number one. He just has a certain flaw that you need to get over it or deal with or just cope with it. Just understand that, hey, Demaris is going to drop 9 to 10 passes a year, but he's going to give us a big body on a fade route near the end zone because people early in his career compared him to Des Bryant, and I believe yeah. now we're seeing that that is not the case. Des Bryant is a much better wide receiver than Demaris Thomas, more reliable with his hands. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that uh, you know if Des could stay healthy, that would be even better. But I, I put I put Demarius in the same equation as an Alshon Jeffrey type. You know, big body, great, uh, uh, you know, great ability. Hands are questionable, but. They don't seem to really excel if it's not their guy. You know, we've seen Jeffrey struggle week in and week out uh, without Cutler. And not that Cutler is a great quarterback, but I guarantee that he, if Cutler plays this week like he's going to, Jeffrey will probably get 95, 110 yards, a touchdown. But he doesn't seem to do it when, you know, Hoyer was in there. I just, I don't know what it is. It, there's just some kind of chemistry. Obviously, we know he's huge in sports, and certain guys obviously can't differentiate when it's not their guy throwing them the pass. 
real quick, would you rather have Odell Beckham in his sideline tantrums or Demarius Thomas? Oh, I'll take Beckham all day, and I will marry. <laughs> I will. Ma- I will marry the uh, the kicking stand just to keep him happy because that's talent. Like I get. Look, even To was a knucklehead and a moron, but he was a great receiver, and it didn't matter who was throwing him the ball. You know, when Tony Romo was you know struggling or hurt, uh, you know, and he had Donovan McNabb and all these other guys that he caught passes from uh, in San Francisco, he was still a great receiver he would still put up thousand yards you know six seven eight touchdowns it didn't really matter who was getting him the ball and we've seen look look at look at the houston texans uh hopkins is not really that great this year either because why oswilder's throwing the ball which is weird because they didn't have a great quarterback last year and yet he was you know he was there so that chemistry thing it's it's huge so give me beckham Every day of the week, you know, you, you look at a guy like Brandon Marshall last year. Brandon Marshall raised the game of a Fitzpatrick. Now, this year it's a little bit different. It seemed like Fitzpatrick is just bringing everybody down. But I guarantee now that Fitzpatrick has the job, you know, going forward, I, I would be shocked if, if, if Marshall didn't pick up his game and catch a touchdown this week and have a 100-yard game. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. But, man, Odell Beckham every day of the week. And for any Giant fan that was talking about trading him, you're out of your mind. Definitely out of your mind, but we're going to close it off and we're going to come back with the wrap-up and our Week 8 picks. The wrap-up. Well, Mo liked to gloat last week when he beat me by three, but I came back this week and I put the smack down on him. 10-3-1. That's right, there was a tie because... There was that horrible game on Monday night. Mo was 7-6-1. Not so good. But uh, I just really I, I just can't get over the level of play this year. That Monday night game with Seattle and Arizona missing two field goals in overtime. The horrible game against the Broncos and the Texans. I mean, it's just been a travesty. And tonight we get to watch the Titans and the Jaguars. OMG, Mo. No, I'm happy. I know you I know I'm surprised because you know, Jaguars are your hometown. I shouldn't uh, say hometown, no. but your home state team. You should be happy to see the Jags on Thursday Night Football. Why not? I, I know I'm excited because I think the AFC South is pretty much a toss-up, and I want to see which team comes out of the muddle. But anyway, we'll move on to the actual pick. I'm going with the Titans because I said this on the Memphis radio show earlier in the week that the Titans, you know what you're going to get from them. They're very consistent. You know, they're going to run the ball and play the defense. The Jags... I watched them against the Raiders last week when they got stopped out. You just don't know what you're going to get. Blake Bortles has regressed. Gus Bradley's on the hot seat. The owner has come down to meet with the team, which is never a good sign. Yeah. The Jaguars are in flux right now. I'm taking the Titans. Yeah, and, and if anybody doesn't know who the owner of the Jaguar is, Google him. He has a handlebar mustache and a pompadour mullet. Uh, awesome. And he owns a soccer team in England. Uh, back to the game. I'm taking the Jags because of all the things I just said. Uh, the Jags are not this bad, even though their record board suggests. Otherwise, uh, Gus Bradley will be fired very soon. There's talk uh, Matt Patricia, I believe his name is. The uh, coordinator from New England is uh, one of the candidates to take over that team. That would be better because right now this is a team going the wrong way. Uh, Allen Robinson had two fantasy points last week. So bad. So so bad. The Redskins and the Bengals. Mo continues to doubt Captain Kirk. I'm going Redskins because they may get Jordan Reed back. And Matt Jones, maybe he shows up. Maybe he doesn't. That's what Matt Jones does. 
Listen, you talk about tight ends. You talked about Jordan Reed coming back for the Redskins. Well, guess what? Tyler Eifert is also back for the Bengals, which means Andy Dalton is going to be a better quarterback. He is top five in passing yards. So I don't think people are putting the amount of respect on Andy Dalton's name that they should be putting. I'm going with the Bengals over in the U.S. Yeah, but Eifert was back last week and caught one pass for nine yards. I know it was his first game back, but he didn't do anything last week, so why would it be different this week? Because the Redskins don't have a really good uh, defense on tight ends, and because it was his first game, give him some time. He was he was on a, a snaps limit also, so let's factor that in. Bengals get trust me in this one, people. Bengals get this game. Kirk Cousins is still a fraud. Still. Such a hater. Such a hater. The Chiefs and the Colts. I took the Colts last week. They did me good, but I'm going against them this week because I think that Chief defense is going to uh, – Going to put a little bit of a lockdown on T.Y. Hilton, and it, and it just appears that T.Y. is the main man in that uh, in that passing offense. Obviously, Jack Doyle is a nice addition as a tight end. If he's still out there in your league, scoop him up. Uh, Frank Gore, yeah, you know what? He's consistent, man. He gets you like 16, 17 points a week fantasy-wise, so not a bad option. And Andrew Luck has been money, I think, 36 points last week. But, again, uh, the Chiefs defense is a little bit better than what the Colts have been seeing, so I'm taking the Chiefs. Uh, Spencer Ware. MVP type fantasy player right now. Yeah, quick quick question, Mike. How's that Jamal Charles pick working out? Uh, you know what? It's actually working out okay because I backed it up with Spencer Ware. So that was yes. the best thing that happened to me. Uh, yeah, again, I lost Roethlisberger. I've lost Jamal Charles. I have lost Adrian Peterson, and yet I'm still four and three, tied with you. And oh, we play this week. So uh, yeah, strap up, my man. You' about to get whooped. Uh, we'll see about that. I'm going to agree with you on this one. I'm going with the Chiefs because I still don't believe in the Colts' defense. Yes, the Colts and Andrew Luck have looked good in the critical moments in the football game, but the Chiefs, like the Titans, are pretty consistent with what they do. They run the ball, try to play pretty good defense. Marcus Peters is probably going to shut down T.Y. Hilton or at least slow him down in the passing game, which takes away Luck's top weapon. I know Dante Marquis is practicing, you know, it's limited. But I still think the Chiefs have enough to win this game on the road against the Colts. In a battle of NFC teams that everyone thought we'd see in the title game, the Cardinals and the Panthers, which is not going to happen because the Panthers are dreadful and the Cardinals are not that good. Um, I'm going to take the Cardinals just because they still have a pretty good defense for the most part. Uh, And who knows what what kind of Cam Newton we're getting this week. Jonathan Stewart came back two weeks ago uh, before the bye. He looked pretty good. But does Cam give Stewart the ball? Does he... Try to be Superman all by himself, which hasn't worked. The one thing you can count on is Greg Olson will get his. Uh, regardless, I'm going Cardinals. Yeah, I agree with you on this one. I'm going Cardinals simply because the Panthers don't have a secondary and the Cardinals have three talented wide receivers. Carson Palmer gets back on track and that Cardinals offense romps the, the Panthers on the road. The next game, which uh, I'm actually surprised Moe's finally going to take the Raiders because he can continue to go against them. I love the Oakland Raiders. Went with them last week, and they did me good. Uh, it's the Raiders and the Bucks. I'm uh, going Raiders because that Bucks team, uh, although Jacquez Rogers is my savior right now, uh, I'm still going to go Raiders, but I think Jacquez will get at least 75 yards and a touchdown. First of all, I'll say this. Okay, Listen, I, at the end of the week, I switched my pick to the Raiders. I didn't do it on the show. Oh, I kept okay. it on the show as the Jaguars. But when as I started to look at film, I said, no, the Raiders got this game, and I gave them a one-point win. I'm just putting that out there as a disclaimer. Mm, but anyway, right. uh, they stay in Florida, and I think they get the win over the Bucks because the Bucks just don't have enough firepower. 
I like Jacquez Rogers because he's about 5, 6, 200 pounds. Yep. For the little people, mm-hmm. but he's not going to be enough. Even though the Raiders' run defense is pretty bad, I think I, I think that offense, the Raiders' offense, throws on the Bucks and they get the win. Seahawks and the Saints. If Russell Wilson doesn't put up at least twenty-eight points, and I mean throwing twenty-eight points, then there's something seriously wrong with him, and uh, it might be time for him to heal up because he he still looks like a mummy running around out there. He's he's taped up from his ankle to his groin. Not sure what's going on. Congratulations to him and his uh, lovely bride uh, for announcing that they're having a baby. So congratulations. A little bit of entertainment news right there for you, um, Sierra. If you didn't know who he's married to, by the way. But other than that, I'm taking the seahawks because even though they cut cj speller that doesn't matter and uh thomas rawls might be back in a couple weeks so let's go seahawks i know drew Brees is drew Brees, but against that defense it's going to be tough to continually pass for 300 yards i might as well just put this on record i say this every week richard sherman is playing on another level and he's going to slow down that saints offense the saints will still put up points but because their defense is dreadful so will the seahawks Seahawks win. I think it'll be a closer game than people think, but the Seahawks still come away with the victory. Lions and the Texans. I was I was really confused on this pick because the Texans are just not very consistent. Brock Osweiler is, is a, he's the real fraud. Um, and, and Matt Stafford's look great, but we don't know if Theo Riddick will be back this week. Uh, Justin Forsett hasn't done much since he landed with Detroit. Golden Tate is either really good or really bad. So I'm going to take Houston just because I think their defense is, you know, still better than what Detroit has to put out there. Yeah, Detroit's been playing well lately. Matthew Stafford has been playing well lately with, with Anquan Bolden, Marvin Jones, and Golden Tate. That's his trio. He's trying to show that he doesn't need Calvin Johnson to be pretty good. But as you said, the Texans, their defense is still pretty decent. Jadavion Clowney is actually showing up on the defensive end. I got the Texans after a bad loss on Monday Night Football. Could it be that the Bills sweep the season series from the Patriots, Mo? Uh... No. Okay. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> no, uh, as much as much as I'd like to see Tyrod Taylor shock the world once again, uh, I don't do not think that Tom and company go to go to Buffalo and blow that game. Yeah, Rex Ryan typically plays the Patriots pretty closely. I think this game could be close, but the Bills just don't have any receivers. Like, me and Mike can go out there right now and be the one and two options for Tyrod Taylor because Robert Woods, I believe, was in a walking boot. We don't know if he's going to play. Sammy Watkins, as you know, is on short-term IR. Charles Clay, I have on my fancy team thinking he was the only good uh, receiver on that team as a tight end. He got me four points. Ooh. So right now the Bills don't have anybody to catch the football for them. And LaShawn McCoy, I just got a beep on my bleach report that he's 50-50 for this game. Great. have absolutely no offense coming into this game. The Patriots are scoring at will. The Patriots win this game. Jets and the Browns. If the Jets lose, Bowles is fired. Fitzgerald is thrown out of town, and we're looking forward to next year. That's why the Jets will win, uh, even though Josh McCown may play this week. So, uh, you know, I guess that's a good thing for the Browns, although Cody Kessler hasn't looked terrible, but uh, he, I know he did suffer a concussion last week. And Kevin Hogan, the backup quarterback from the University of Stanford, is clearly just a running back because I don't even think they let him throw a pass last week, although he did rush for like 50 yards. So uh, it's going to take the Jets. Just because I can't see them losing to Cleveland, but this is the Jets where anything is possible. The Jets can't allow the Browns to win their first game of the season. The Browns will go 0-8. If the Jets lose this game, Bryce Petty just needs to start season yeah. over. Mm-hmm. Start trading players because, as you know, the trade deadline is November 1st. There are already reports saying that the Jets should trade. Not official reports, but fans are saying the Jets should trade Brandon Marshall and Sheldon Richardson to get more talent, blah, blah, blah. Just hold off. 
Browns. I think they beat the Browns. They go three and five, and they go on their mini Kansas City Chiefs win streak. We'll see what happens. Though. Yeah, I mean, if they, if they beat the they beat them, then they they can potentially come and beat the Dolphins in two weeks. I'm not sure where they play next week, but you know, a winning streak. You got to get to 500 before you can potentially think about anything further. And again, started off really well last year and struggled down the stretch. So let's just switch it up this year, guys. What do you think? Anything? You know? Maybe? No. No. Okay. The Chargers and the Broncos. Mo and I disagree on this one. I, yeah, I'm going against the Broncos. I'm going with Phillip Rivers and the no-name offense that they have besides Phillip Rivers because look at look what they did to Atlanta. I mean, Melvin Gordon is the truth. My man's got 10 rushing touchdowns after none, zero, zilch last year. They got a bunch of no-name wide receivers. That one, Tyrell Williams, number 16, looks, looks like the new big-body wide receiver. Hunter Henry, a tight end. Even Gates played a little bit last week. And Joey Bosa. Laura Joey Bosa is the man that guy is a wrecking ball he is everywhere on the field so I just feel bad that this team is missing everyone uh on both sides of the ball because this team could very well be in contention for the first uh for, you know for that first uh, place division lead but again injuries you cannot control I think this game will be close, but you're drinking a Thursday night Kool-Aid from a few weeks ago when yep. the Chargers won that game. I understand they were playing for the head coach, Mike McCoy. I believe his job is safe. The Broncos get their revenge at home because that altitude will get to the San Diego Chargers who like to run up and down the field with their offense. I do worry, though, that C.J. Anderson, as we said earlier, is out. Mm-hmm. And Devontae Booker is going to start. He had some fumbling problems early, and that's why he didn't get the carries Early in the season, he fumbled a couple of times. Now he's going to be the lone back in that backfield, so they're going to have to lean on him for their offense because, as you know, Trevor Simeon is not throwing for 400 yards unless you're a poor, poor pass defense, which the Chargers do have. But I just think the Chargers and the Broncos playing in the same division. They know each other. It's going to be pretty close. But I'm going with the Broncos. I'm surprised Mike is going the other way. He will regret that. No, no, I will not. The Packers and the Falcons. Uh, yeah, a battle of two high-powered offenses. Devontae Adams is playing like a man on a mission, which means he'll probably have one catch this week. But regardless, I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers uh, to to continue on, even though they have no running game. Although Ty Montgomery tried to prove elsewhere. elsewhere, elsewhere. Uh, looked really good last week. Uh, a guy who, you know, Nobody would have known before last week. So go with the Packers. The the Aaron Rodgers demise thing is so overblown. Yeah. He has 13 touchdown passes and only four interceptions. And people saying, oh, is Aaron Rodgers on a decline? Is he is he playing bad this year? I'm like, I understand he's not the great Aaron Rodgers we're used to seeing. But he's not Brock Osweiler, people. No. He's not Kirk Cousins. Let's, let's chill on that one. I think the Packers win this game against the Falcons because the Falcons have 31st-ranked pass defense. And I think... Aaron Rodgers cries it up with Randall Cobb and even Ty Montgomery, who I picked up on my fantasy team because you know why? He has 10 receptions in back-to-back weeks, and now he's the best running back in their yeah. backfield. Yeah, Packers he- end off of Aaron Rodgers and Ty Montgomery. Yeah, it's huge. He has dual eligibility, wide receiver and running backs. I, I don't know if I'd put him as a wide receiver, but I would definitely put him as a running back if you have that option. Uh, the, the Eagles and the boys in Dallas, this should be a fun game. Eagles have a really good defense this year, and the Cowboys have a really good offense. So we shall see what's going to happen. I'm taking the boys, though. 
Yeah, I'm going with the Cowboys. The Eagles won last week because their their defensive line matched up well against the Vikings' poor offensive line. As we know, the offensive line is the Cowboys' strength, hence why Ezekiel Elliott is having a breakout year in his rookie season. Cowboys win. It's going to be on Sunday Night Football, which is a refreshing sight after what we saw last week between the Cardinals and the Seahawks. Cowboys win this game. But then you have a terrible Monday night game. The greatest quarterback in Vanderbilt history, Jay Cutler, is back against the Vikings. The Vikings did lose last week uh, to those Eagles. Bradford looked almost human. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, not very good. Matt Asiata, not very good either. So the running game could potentially be a little bit of a problem for these Vikings headed down the stretch. Uh, they better hope that Peterson gets healthy in a hurry because uh, you're going to put a lot of pressure on that defense. Regardless, it's the Bears. It's Cutler. I'm taking the Vikings. Yeah, I'm going with the Vikings to rebound big. They're going to shut down the Bears. I, Brian, as you saw, the Chicago Bears offense played a lot better with Brian Hoyer compared to Jay Cutler. And reports are that their head coach, John Fox, told his friends that Brian Hoyle was going to be the guy for the rest of the season, and even if Jay Cutler was 100% healthy. Reports are now that Jay Cutler is saying, well, now John Fox has to trust him, and he's you, you know, he's telling the truth because you don't want uh, Matt Barkley back out there because we saw what Matt Barkley could do, which is all of nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with Jay Cutler back, I believe Cameron Meredith, my fantasy pick, my fantasy pickup, I should say, is going to play well, but it's not going to be enough. Vikings win on the road. All right. There are picks for the week. So, Mo, do you got any entertainment news for us today? Because that was a hit segment last week. Yeah, I got some entertainment. I got an entertainment tidbit. It may rub some people the wrong way, but here goes. Uh, Lamar Odom was kicked out of a court after telling the judge that Khloe Kardashian's uh, lady parts smelled like earring backs. Okay. Uh, this is a true story. You can look it up. Google it. This is what he said in court. He was basically criticizing her vagina and he was kicked out. As you know, Khloe Kardashian is with Tristan Thompson. So obviously her divorce with Lamar Odom is getting ugly and now he's just uh, bad-mouthing her basically. Who knows what the truth is unless you've been with Khloe. I'm sure James, Hart- James Harden will have something to say about this. Even Tristan Thompson. But it's this is hip hop news, people. This is entertainment. It is what it is. If you don't believe me, just look it up. Yes, uh, and if you've ever smelled an earring back, it's one of the worst things in the world. If that's true, <laughs> good lord, wash yourself. If it, uh, if it's not, that that's just disgusting to even think about. Uh, other than that, Charlie Sheen was back in the news. He wanted to throw out the first pitch at a Dodger game. He wanted to throw out the first pitch at a World Series game, but he's all over social media making himself apparent that he wants involved somehow in this World Series. He put a really cool video together. If you haven't seen it, Google it. Uh, the One of the scenes that he comes out uh, as Wild Rick Wild Thing Vaughn in the movie Major League, uh, and as it's coming out of the bullpen, it actually cuts to him today, like someone filming him in front of a, uh, you know the screen, and he's got the glasses on with the Vaughn jersey and the hat uh, a little weird because you know this guy's like 50 something and he still wants to you know play a movie that he did in the 80s but it's, it was just pretty cool if you ever seen the movie it's a great baseball comedy and he says go tribe so um, no he will not throw out the first pitch of any game uh, he probably wouldn't even be allowed in the stadium but uh, if you like that movie like I do part of my childhood it, it was it was fun to see although he was missing the the vintage uh, triangled haircut toward on the back of his head so Mo have you ever seen the movie probably not Absolutely not. Oh, my God. <laughs> Have you seen Love and Basketball? 
Of course, I've of seen course Love and Basketball. Of course, you have. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Not surprised. You're. Like, I'm not that. I'm not that. Okay, I'm not that bad. When it comes to movies, I'm about thirty-five percent. I'm more of a documentary guy. Oh, oh, because he's fancy. You you drink a Chardonnay <laughs> while you watch a documentary. With my pinky in the ear, of course. <laughs> like Why Bruno not? Mars. Yeah. All right. That's cool. Yeah. That is. That's. But, but you know what? I will be watching but, tonight. But. If you have nothing to do, because it is a rainy, disgusting day in New York City for my people out on the East Coast, Northeast, please tune into the Chicago Bulls and the Boston Celtics. I want to see Dwayne Wade in his new digs. He's with Rajon Rondo, Jimmy Butler. I want to see how that team works because, like the Knicks, people don't know what to expect from them because they're saying they don't have enough three-point shooters on Chicago. So the team is going to fall by the wayside because in this new league, you need to be able to shoot threes. Chicago's guys, Rajon Rondo can't shoot worth a lick. Jimmy Butler, eh, at three-point shooting, and Dwayne Wade, his game is better toward when he's driving toward the rim. So we'll see what happens with Chicago. They're at home, so that's going to be interesting to watch. The late game, the clip is in Portland, which should be a treat because you got Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum on one side, CP3, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan on the other side. Should be a good night of basketball, people. Man, if you're in, like me and you're in Florida and it's 75 degrees, beautiful, a little bit of a breeze and nice and sunny, Go out and do not watch the uh, Thursday night football game because it's horrible. DVR any of the basketball action that you want like I'm going to do. Uh, last night I partake and took in the uh, Epcot Food and Wine Festival at Disney World. It was a magical evening. I drank myself silly around the world. I ate a little bit of everything, spent way too much money. But that is what you get in the fall in Florida. We don't get 40 degrees and rain like my man up on the East Coast, even though he likes to criticize the Florida summers. I will take the summers for our winters and our falls, sir. Listen, okay, I love the rain. If you know me, you know that I like rain. It's just a great time in the fall when the sports are on. Nice Nice, nice home, nice warm home, yeah. rain outside, you have a little snacks, have a little, you know, some cookies, and, you know, some pink lemonade. And, what? You know, yes, some cookies, <laughs> some pink lemonade, maybe some brownies or something like that. Treat yourself. Don't cheat yourself. It's a great time, whether it's raining or it's not. Remember, it's the fall time, people. It's time for basketball. And if you can stomach it, some Thursday night football with some bad quarterbacking. Yes, I'd just rather watch it not freezing my butt off. But that is it for episode 37 of the Mike and Mo Show. Stitcher.com is a place to find us. Download the app, listen to Mike and Mo. Facebook, Twitter, Mike and Mo Show. And uh, that's about it, guys. Just enjoy yourself. Have a great week. Plenty of action going on. By this time next week, we're going to be wrapping up the World Series. Basketball will be going strong. Uh, We'll be talking probably some NFL rumors with the trade deadline quickly approaching. uh, And Halloween. So enjoy yourselves. If we don't talk to you by next Monday, be safe. If you got kids, have a great time. Take plenty of photos. And until then, this is Mike Calendrill. He's Maurice Moten signing out. We'll talk to you next week. Be good.